This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today in our 319th episode and our first episode of 2021, we're doing our best of 2020. Gotta wrap that year up. Better late than never. I don't think it's late. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first episode of the next year. You can't do the best of 2020 while you're still in 2020. I guess. But in any event, we have a ton of awesome stuff that happened in 2020. Dinosaur-wise, there was a lot of good things. So we're going to go through all of that. We're going to do it a little bit differently than we've done it in previous years. We're not going to include clips from previous episodes. We're just going to talk about it from the current standpoint. And that helps in some cases because in some of these discoveries, there were updates afterwards. So we can include things that we learned after the fact, if there is things. Hopefully people like that. But as always, because there are so many Dinosaur of the Days to get through, Sabrina is going to do a new Dinosaur of the Day as well. This week, it's D-Long. I think we often say die long but... Could also be D-Long. Yes. And she also has a fun fact to go along with that. Really mixing it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. And as always, we want to thank our patrons for helping us to keep the podcast running and getting us through another year. This week, we'd like to thank Michael, Jackson Crawford, Stego Sophie, Ranger Chris from Dino for Hire, James Pascoe, Stego Steve, Richard, Bilal, Christine, and Rohan. And I know we said this last week when we were wrapping up 2020 a little bit (laughs) as well, but yeah, we really appreciate all of our patrons. You guys mean so much to us. We could not produce the podcast without all of you. So thank you so much to everyone who's joined. This year, we have expanded quite a bit, especially on Discord. I think we started it like halfway to three quarters of the way through 2019. But this year really blew up, especially at the end of the year. It's really nice now when I go into Discord, there's always tons of comments and different channels. So I can go through and see what games people are talking about or what new discoveries. Different projects people are working on. Yeah, there's a lot of good artists on there. Mm -hmm. It's pretty awesome. So it definitely cheers me up every time I go in there. And sometimes I really get into it more so than I should. (laughs) It (laughs) prevents me from getting, I know, Dino stuff done, but I love it. So thank you all for making that community so great. Yes, thank you. And if you want to join our community, then check out our page, patreon.com slash I know Dino. Really quick, before we get into all of our best of 2020 stuff, I got one short news item that can't wait because it's happening the day after this episode comes out. 
So the Museum of Discovery and Science in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is holding a free online speaker event about dinosaurs on January 7th. So it's going to happen between 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can watch a screening of Dinosaurs of Antarctica, and then you'll hear from a panel of speakers, including Nathan Smith, paleontologist and associate curator of the Dinosaur Institute at the Natural History Museum in Los Angeles, Patricia Ryberg, paleobotanist and associate professor of biology at Park University, and Libby Ives, sedimentologist and PhD student at the University of Wisconsin. And it sounds really cool. If you register, then you'll get a link so you can watch the Dinosaurs of Antarctica video beforehand and then hear from the speakers. Yeah, the Antarctic dinosaurs are really cool. It's crazy that we managed to do any science there with how harsh the conditions are. And all those penguins poking around. Yeah, even just getting to Antarctica is crazy. Mm-hmm. I hope we make it there someday. I don't know. With your seasickness, mm-hmm. unless we could fly there, <laughs> those seas are really rough around Antarctica. You never know. We've got time. Also, you fly re- really small planes too, and those you don't always agree with those either. One can dream, Garrett. <laughs> I suppose. Maybe we could take a rigid airship there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now going into our best of 2020, and this covers our episodes between episode 266 and 318. And we're starting off with the best of the best, which is the sauropods of 2020. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I suppose. I'm glad we agree on this. (laughs) (laughs) So the best new sauropod of 2020 came out really recently. We talked about it in episode 318. That's Bagualia. And maybe you remember that one. That's the sauropod that was discovered in central Patagonia in Argentina. Yeah, this is the one where they found a good amount of the skull. Yeah, and an articulated neck. There's also a bunch of other individuals which weren't really a part of the description because it was focusing on what was new about the dinosaur, as they often do when you're naming a new species. But since there are at least three individuals from the find, we know that we're going to find out a lot about this animal. And there'll probably be some pretty cool amounts of it going around as well. Because if you have the skull, you got a good portion of the neck and the limbs and things, you could reconstruct it pretty effectively in a museum. Mm -hmm. But really, as we talked about in episode 318, the most important thing about it is that it shows, it helps to show at least, how the massive eusauropods, the sauropods everybody knows and loves, became so huge and how they became the dominant sauropods of the ecosystem, Mm -hmm. or sauropodomorphs, I should say. Because before that point in time, before 180 million years ago, there were all these diverse sauropodomorphs all over the place. But then around 180 million years ago, there was a ton of volcanism, and all of those smaller sauropodomorphs and some of the more diverse sauropods went away. And then basically, we were just left with eusauropods, the ones that had the really long necks, the more peg-like teeth that just shoveled in the high fiber food into their guts and then chewed it later in the gizzard. The little foots, if you will. (laughs) I guess I will. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But obviously, we talk a lot more about it in episode 318 if you want to hear more details. And it was too hard to settle on an absolute best new sauropod of 2020. So we have a couple honorable mentions. There are just too many sauropods, I guess. There were a lot of really good sauropod discoveries this year. Actually, what am I saying? You can't have too many. Yes, you can. Nah. <laughs> but the next honorable mention for best new sauropod was Bravosaurus, 
This is a titanosaur from Argentina, and the really striking thing about this titanosaur is it was only about 7 meters long, or just over 20 feet, so pretty small and unusual for a small sauropod. It, we don't think it was on an island. We don't think it was an island dwarf. It was just small for some other reason, and they think it was an adult, or at least nearly fully sized. So really strange. We need to learn more about Bravosaurus for sure, because it's weird. Brava, brava. Yeah, so if you want to learn more about that one, we talked about it in episode 314, and it's actually not the only sauropod we talk about in that episode. Yeah, not even the only new sauropod. Mm-hmm. We also include some sauropod eggs in that one. Yeah, a really large nesting site of titanosaur eggs. Yeah, they call it the QSD nesting site, and it's in multiple layers. It's all over the place. I want to learn more about this. Apparently, it's been published on a little bit, here and there, but I think they must still be working through the details since there are so many eggs all over the place. But pretty soon we'll probably know a lot more about how sauropods nested. Mm -hmm. And last in sauropod news from 2020, we've got MCF PVPH87, also known as the unicorn sauropod, and we talked about this in episode 302. Yeah, that one was crazy. I still don't know if I entirely believe all of the conclusions because it's it was so out of left field. It's basically a titanosaur embryo that was found, and it appears to have a horn coming out of its upper lip. Originally, it was like, well, maybe this could be an egg tooth because a lot of these animals that are born in hard-shelled eggs have a special tooth growing to help them crack their way out of it. But this looked like it was too big of a horn to be just an egg tooth. And it, it really looks like a horn structure more than a tooth structure, like something that would just fall off right after it hatched. So it seems like maybe this baby sauropod had a literal horn coming out of basically its top lip pointed straight forward mm -hmm. for a while while it was a baby. So strange. I have no idea what is going on with this. I still kind of wonder if it might have been some individual variation or a weird mutation that was happening with this individual or like maybe it got squished while it was fossilized or something because it's just it's so weird that you would have a horn coming out of the top lip of a sauropod. Yeah. I don't know how to, what to make of it. Oh man, I hope we find horned sauropods. Yeah, it would be cool because we don't know. Maybe there's an adult version of this out there that has a big horn like a narwhal, mm -hmm. right? Because, I mean, if you think about if you were hundreds or millions of years in the future from now, looking back at whale skeletons, and all you ever found was like blue whales and right whales and orcas, even though those aren't really whales, and then you found a narwhal, you'd be like, what is this? How does, <laughs> how does it have this huge horn sticking out of its head? Why? Why would it have this? So yeah, maybe this is like the narwhal of sauropods. It just has some inexplicably large horn sticking out of its head for who knows what reason. I guess it's a good display structure, right? Yeah. I'm sure that narwhal horn really impresses other narwhals or narwhale. I'm not sure. <laughs> What I like about this embryo, too, is it's really cute. It's got the big eyes and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although there were a couple pieces of paleo art, and one of them was significantly more cute than the other, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Different depictions of it. But I'm hoping that we find a larger version of this, and it isn't just a juvenile feature of, like, the babies needed horns for, I can't even imagine what reason, and then the adults didn't, so it went away. 
just thinking about how there's dinosaurs lived for so long and there were so many weird varieties that it wouldn't surprise me if eventually we find a sauropod with a horn. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. I mean, we found sauropods that have osteoderms mm-hmm. with the saltosaurines, and then there's Shunosaurus, which appears to have had basically like a tail club on it, practically also a small sauropod. Mm-hmm. So if you can have those things, why not a horn? Sure. And this just proves how sauropods are better than ankylosaurs because they have all the kinds of features. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I disagree. (laughs) But sauropods are also very cool. I like large things that just peacefully go about their time trying to eat plants and Mm. not bothering nobody. Right. That's what I like about ankylosaurs. Sauropods also have that going on. Although, as we've discussed Just because they're herbivores doesn't mean they couldn't get violent. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you came between a sauropod or an ankylosaur and its mate or maybe in between it and its young or something, Mm -hmm. they would... Or if they were territorial. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to take kindly to that. And they've got some weaponry, mostly on the tail end on those two. (laughs) Up next, we've got our best new theropod, and that's Oksoko. That was from episode 307. It's a new oviraptor from Mongolia. And it is so cool. That was the one that was found. It was actually three individuals stuck in one single block. It got recovered from some smugglers. And the species name actually is derived from the fact that it got recovered from poachers slash smugglers. And that's a varsin, I think is how it's pronounced. Mm. And Oksoko has a cool name too. It's from the three-headed eagle of Altaic mythology. And I think that's because they there found are, the three of them. Exactly. And it it's also just like awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they've got like the high crest that you'd expect to see on a lot of oviraptors. They're relatively big, I would say, for an oviraptor, weighing about a hundred pounds. And it's got at least one adult specimen in it, judging by the lags. There's only about five lags, but these guys grew pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. we think that makes it an adult. And they're reasonably tall, about a meter tall and 1.3 meters long or three feet tall and four feet long. So pretty cool. And the the pictures of it are just beautiful because it's just a jumble of like well-preserved skulls and skeletal elements from the rest of the body. Might have been pretty too. It had the piga style at the end of the tail. Yes. Maybe there were feathers like a peacock. Yeah. Yeah. I love that little depiction of it. It's, It's really cool. And it's, it was funny because we were going through all of our articles and I was like, there weren't that many theropods discovered this year that were really excellent finds with lots of bones and the kind of things that really get me excited. But I, you know, you forget about oviraptors being theropods because they're so, they're so unusual for theropods. They're not like a T-Rex with the big mouths full of teeth. They don't have any mm. teeth. They're just weird. Almost as weird as the therizinosaurs. Yeah. Which are also theropods. Yeah. There was a dinochirid, but that one didn't have all that many bones to, I think, qualify as a best of. But we do have it as an honorable mention, and that's Paraxenisaurus from episode 300. And one of the first things I really like about it is the species name is Normalensis, named after the collection that it was found in, not because there's anything normal at all about (laughs) Dyronachyrids. But yeah, they are, dinochirids are just always cool because they have those huge arms with massive claws, but also a hump back and a wide pelvis because they have to eat a lot of plants. So they need space for all those guts. Really goofy looking. Yeah. I love them. I think if 
Dinochirids had been well known when I was a kid. I think Dinochirus might be my favorite dinosaur. Because it's so strange. They're so, yeah, they're so weird. Therizinosaurs are also amazing. And as well as like the fluffy ones like Euteranus. Anyway, I'm digressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you're just starting to name all the dinosaurs. Yeah, that's true. So Paroxenosaurus was found in Mexico, which is cool because we don't have a ton of dinosaurs known from Mexico. It's in that sort of Rio Grande area, not too far from Texas, and the claw on it was pretty laterally compressed, which meant that it wasn't that good for digging, and it was probably better for slashing. And it also had a large flexor tubercle on it, which is the part where the muscle attaches in order to engage those claws in a more like fighting type way. So it might be a good indication that dinochirids really were using those claws for self-defense more so than, you know, grabbing at plants, as sometimes has been proposed. Well, that's good, because before that, the only defense proposed for them was the fact that they're large, because they <laughs> can't move too fast. No, because they got, like, the wide, awkward hips. They're yeah. not built for running, and their legs aren't really that long for a theropod. So, yeah, that's what we think, right? They needed these big claws, and they used those basically like a thagomizer on a stegosaur. If something comes near you to slash big sharp things at them and maybe they'll leave you alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just a fantastic creature. And now we know more about them being in North America because we didn't have them from this time range in about 80 million years ago until we found Paroxenosaurus. Yeah. Does that make them like the sloths of the Mesozoic? Yeah. Yeah. I think more like the giant ground sloths, Mm -hmm. the ones that went extinct that were big and had the big claws and were kind of ferocious, but I think also herbivorous. Mm -hmm. Not positive about that. But yeah. More sloth-like, I would say, than other things. (laughs) And next up, we have our best new ornithopod, and that's Ajnabia odysseus. That was one we talked about in episode 312. And that is the first ever hadrosaurid material found in Africa. Nice. Super significant. It wasn't an amazing find in terms of the, the quality and the size of the bones or anything like that. I mean, like the size of the find, we didn't have a, a massively complete skeleton or anything, but we did have pieces of the jaw, including teeth and part of the maxilla, which is the upper jaw. And that's really about it, which is unfortunate because it's obviously very important, but those two parts of the bone are pretty diagnostic. So it was enough to name a new species based on a new genus, I should say. That's what Ajnabi is. The species is Odysseus. And that was because, remember, it was after that mythical voyage. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about, what if it, did it take a boat? How did it get there? And that was basically (laughs) why they named it that. They don't know how it got to Africa. They think it must have been quite a journey Mm -hmm. to get from Europe because this individual and this species appears to be more closely related to hadrosauroids in Europe than it is to existing hadrosauroids that were in Africa. So not hadrosaurids. These were like earlier, not quite fully evolved into hadrosaurids. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you would, one might expect it's not connected to Europe. Why wouldn't this be something that evolved in Africa? But no, it came over from Europe. Nobody knows how. Right. Well, <laughs> probably swam at least part of it. It could have, but it, it could have also been on a raft. Potentially that sometimes happens with dinosaurs. It, yeah, it, who knows? But yeah, I, I guess it was probably either swimming or on a raft because it couldn't fly. Right. <gasps> Unless some bird-like things picked up the eggs and deposited them. Mm, that's really land before time, like mm-hmm. how it starts out. Wasn't there like an egg sloshing around oh, through yeah, a river in there? Littlefoot. 
Yeah. He doesn't get far from home, though. Does the mom pick him up out of the river? Is mm-hmm. that what happens? Yeah. So <laughs> the Ajnabia did not have a parent looking after the egg enough, apparently, because <laughs> it ended up in Africa. Although I should clarify, we don't know that Ajnabia specifically is the species that ended up in Africa as the first, you know, hadrosaurid from European ancestry, I guess. But phylogenetically, since it's closer to European lambiosaurines, we know that either it or one of its ancestors did come over and, you know, establish itself in Northern Africa. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I love African paleontology because... It seems like everything we find there is the first of something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, you learn a lot. As an honorable mention for best new ornithopod, we have Changmianya or Changmianya. Not completely clear on the pronunciation, but we talked about that in episode 306. And it's a burrowing dinosaur from China. Yeah, they actually found two individuals, the holotype is a little bit less than four feet or a little over a meter long, and it's beautifully preserved. One of the individuals is curled up and the other one has its tail sort of projecting out from it. But I, yeah, I just think they're beautiful. Both of them have gastroliths, although I don't think that they found any gut contents to go along with it. But since they were preserved in their burrows, we think, you know, it's pretty phenomenal preservation. You've got essentially the whole individual. And they gave a couple of possibilities about how they might have gotten buried in their burrows. One of them is that they dug a burrow in unstable volcanic material and it sort of like collapsed in on them like they didn't dig a burrow structurally sound enough and it collapsed on them. But the other possibility and the one that they propose is that maybe they were in the burrow and then a mudslide caused by volcanic activity basically flowed into their burrow and just sort of sealed them in there and preserved them Pompeii-like basically right in situ. So it's really, really cool. Unfortunate, as always, for the thing that got fossilized, because there's only one way to get fossilized, and step one is die. So, right. But good for us curious mammals millions of years later. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's really cool. Unfortunately, since it was dug up by local farmers, and they didn't take a ton of notes on how they dug it up, from what I can tell, we don't know exactly what the burrow might have looked like if it was in a cast. Like, we actually have some of these Arictodromius casts of the burrows themselves, we don't have that for Changmianya or Changmianya, but still an amazing find. And hopefully we find more of them and we can learn more about how these dinosaurs lived in their burrows. Mm-hmm. I do love learning about burrowing dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. Up next, we have our best redescription, and that's Dilophosaurus from episode 296. And by redescription, I'm talking about a dinosaur that's been previously named and then Basically, it got a thorough working over, looking at all the other finds that you can find (laughs) in collections that have already, in some cases, been described, but in other cases, adding in new material and then trying to flesh out really the state of the art and the state of the science on that individual. So it's not just naming a new dinosaur. It's like when we put all of the information we've ever found about this dinosaur together, what do we know? And we know a lot about Dilophosaurus, it turns out. So, again, not a small, frilled, venom-spitting monster like in Jurassic Park. It's about 20 feet or about 6 meters long. They're pretty big. It was probably the apex predator of its time and place in the early Jurassic of North America. The review 
supported Dilophosaurus being a single species. They didn't split out any other new species like had been occasionally proposed when new individuals were found with slight differences. And they talked about its head crests. Yeah, that was the coolest thing about it is they they described them as being air-filled and similar to modern hornbills, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Because, again, any connection that relates these big, terrifying, predatory, non-avian dinosaurs to modern birds, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it really helps you connect what we see today in nature to that ancient Mesozoic ecosystem. That wasn't the only bird-like thing about it either. There was a lot of pneumaticity in the skeleton. Yeah, which is pretty cool considering it's almost 200 million years old. So we know that bird respiratory system with the fancy air sacs where they can breathe in and out at the same time. And we think that was why the the bones had that pneumaticity, that that's at least 195 million years old. So yeah, dinosaurs were really amazing even back the earliest parts of the Jurassic and for anybody who's a fan of Dilophosaurus, this paper was as good as it gets. came with really cool paleo art and all sorts of great new details. We also have an honorable mention for the best redescription, and that's Scalidosaurus from episode 307. Unfortunately, we don't have a best new ankylosaur this year because none of them just wowed me. It's sad. <laughs> we had so many amazing sauropods and like... There wasn't anything in the world of Encastro. I hope well, I'm not forgetting were, any. We do talk about the gut contents. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a couple of papers about previously named dinosaurs, but we don't have like a newly named ankylosaur mm-hmm. in our best of. 2017 was the all-time greatest year for ankylosaurs. And right. I think Zool it, and Boreal Pelta. Yeah, both in the same year. That was the greatest year. That was my favorite dinosaur news year for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're an ankylosaur fan, I guess listen to our best of 2017 episode and you'll get a bunch of amazing ankylosaur stuff. But anyway, we do have this redescription of Scalidosaurus from 2020. And really, Scalidosaurus is pretty crazy. It's really cool. The paper was based on a really great find. It was mostly articulated from the skull to the tail, including limbs and even some sclerotic rings. And this was one of the very first dinosaurs ever found. It was found in 1858. Yep, described by Richard Owen. Yeah, and people call it the earliest known substantially complete dinosaur, period. It's weird it's not in the original (laughs) Dinosauria then. Yeah, and that no one knows what it is. Like, if you say Scalidosaurus to a non-dinosaur fan, there's no way they know what it is. But if you say the other two... Megalosaurus, Iguanodon, yes. Hylaeosaurus, I don't know. Yeah, which is another ankylosaur, right? Yes. An ankylosaur has just got a short shrift there. Oh, what does that tell you? That they're underappreciated. That's what it tells me. <laughs> <laughs> and that if you're just thinking of them as lizards, having a little bit of armor doesn't make them that exciting. But if you know they have the tail club and they're actually ancestors of birds, sort of. I mean, ankylosaurs weren't really because they're in the wrong branch of the dinosaur family tree. But anyway, they're awesome. Be nice to ankylosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> so this redescription is really cool. They talk about how they were facultative quadrupeds, which means they were primarily bipedal, which is really weird for an ankylosaur to be primarily bipedal. Mm-hmm. And they were probably pretty quick as well. And so I think of them more as like armadillos, which scurry on their two feet as well <laughs> while being armored on their back. And yeah, 
It's just, it was a really cool redescription. Well, this one also had the horn-shaped osteoderms on the back of the head. Oh, yeah. And they talked about how those horns might have curled back around on the sides of the head, sort of like a ram does Mm -hmm. in modern animals. So that would be awesome. They didn't include that in the paleo art, though. So I think that was a little bit more of a speculative assertion than something that they think is likely. But yeah, Scalidosaurus, maybe it'll make a comeback. Maybe people will start to know what it is now. That would be good. (laughs) Maybe. And next in our best of is the gnarliest pathologies. Prepare to feel sorry for dinosaurs. So the first one, the best one, is the worms in the sauropod lay we talked about in episode 316. Yes, that was incredibly disturbing. Yeah, this is that poor sauropod that in the paleo art, it just looks like it has a bunch of open wounds. Yeah. And it had a really bad bone infection. Yeah, it was the first time they ever found the actual parasite in the pathology of a dinosaur. And in this case, like you said, it's it's that little worm that's basically in the bone tissue that they found when they did the histology and the scans. We don't need to go into too much detail about it again. <laughs> but if you listen to 316, we'll go into a lot of detail. Yeah, it was gnarly. It was the gnarliest. There's, I don't think there's anything else that comes close to being the gnarliest of 2020 terms of paleopathology than the right the, the arrow candy like bone texture of that leg but an honorable mention is the osteosarcoma in a centrosaurus that we talked about in episode 307 the centrosaurus that was found to have bone cancer yeah that's what an osteosarcoma is it's also common in mammals including humans And based on their x-ray scans, essentially, they compared it to x-ray scans of human osteosarcoma, and it looked like a good match. So that's what they're they're guessing that it is. But as we pointed out at the time, it's not the oldest osteosarcoma found to date. There's a 240 million-year-old Triassic turtle, which is almost four times as old because this is late Cretaceous, that had an osteosarcoma. Take that, turtle. I mean, it's... Are you are you wishing that the turtle had bone cancer? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> We've got the best early dinosaur discovery of 2020, and that is the dinosauromorph Kanganophon, I think. Again, I don't speak Malagasy, so I do not have a chance at getting that right, but that's the best I can do. It's not technically a dinosaur. Again, it's a dinosaur morph. They describe it as a tiny ornithodiron archosaur, and ornithodira is the group that includes both dinosaurs and pterosaurs. So it could be an early pterosaur, could be an early dinosaur, could be before either of those split off, and it could be a common ancestor. Mm-hmm. But it helps us understand what the first dinosaurs looked like. Exactly, and what dinosaurs have in common with pterosaurs. The cool thing about it is it had conical teeth that are a little bit more like what you'd see on a pterosaur. They have microware that's consistent with eating hard-shelled insects. So that sort of aligns with our understanding that maybe the earliest dinosaurs ate insects and were carnivorous. It probably didn't have a lot of a choice because it was very small. Take what it can get. Yeah, they estimate it was only about four inches or 10 centimeters tall. Yeah, fits in your hand, which is how it's depicted in one of the paleo art. There's two pieces of paleo art that we discussed and how they look so different because one shows it as this 
cute thing hanging out in plants. Cute little red fuzzball. Mm-hmm. And the other one is uh, in somebody's hands, but it looks really angry. It looks like a Tales from the Crypt. It's like green skin with like sparse white hair sticking out of it. It's baring its teeth. Yeah, <laughs> super creepy. So <laughs> choose your own adventure on whether you think it was a little cutie or some horrible monster. But the beginning of the terrible lizards. Yeah, either way, it's very important. The name is really fun. It means tiny bug slayer because of that's propensity probably to eat these small insects. And they describe it as mid to upper Triassic in origin or about 230 to 240 million years ago, which is that perfect time frame for the very origins of dinosaurs and pterosaurs. And they found quite a bit of it. So we we have a good idea about its overall size and its limb proportions and a lot of details that will probably help us flesh out that early dinosaur tree as we find more fossils over the years. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Up next, we have our best gut contents. They love a good gut content story. They're fantastic. This one is another ankylosaur. It's Borealopelta. It's a nodosaur, although we did have a story this year that maybe nodosaur isn't a valid group. and We might have to be more specific in the future. But for now, I guess it's a nodosaur, maybe. Anyway, it's in episode 295. And we've talked quite a bit about Borealopelta because it has those amazing everything really <laughs> it's got preserved keratin all over it including on its scutes or its armor it's got 
eyelids and it's articulated. You can just see so much detail of this ankylosaur. It is amazing. And you can see it at the Royal Tyrol. Yes. Yeah, definitely, I think, the highlight of visiting the Royal Tyrol Museum, although not everybody does, but they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but Boreal of Helta, this is the first time they've published on the gut contents. We kind of knew they might be there, but we didn't know what was in them. One cool thing is the gut contents are in the same position of the abdomen as Kumbarasaurus, an Australian ankylosaur, and that might mean that we know where the stomach was. <laughs> in these dinosaurs, which is really cool. It's on the left side, which is apparently where it is in most vertebrates. So that's nothing to be too surprised about, but it's cool. And when they took a thin slice of the gut contents, they did histology, they learned exactly what was in its guts. They, they, they gave us a statistical sampling basically of what they found. And it was mostly gastroliths. About 55% of it was rock, in other words, for grinding up the food. 25% of it was matrix. So that's just like rock and sand and stuff that filled in when it was fossilizing. And then 7% of it was empty space, leaving just 13%, which was actual food in that gut contents area. Among that 13%, they found 88% is leaves almost entirely ferns and a little bit of cycads as well as traces of conifers. And then there were some stems, other wood, and a decent amount, 6% of it was charcoal. And that might mean that it was munching on ferns from a recently burned down conifer forest, which is one of these elements where gut contents can tell us so much more about the day-to-day -day life of animals mm -hmm. than the bones ever could. Are gut contents considered ichno? Fossils? Yeah, I think it would be considered an ichnofossil because it's not a fossil of the actual animal. Mm. It's a fossil of showing you what happened in their life. And yeah, so it's showing you on that day when it died, it had a bunch of charcoal in its gut. And that means it was probably in an area that burned down recently. And considering it was eating a lot of ferns and were in the Cretaceous when ferns weren't as dominant as they were earlier in the Mesozoic, that probably means that it was taking advantage of this recently burned down forest because there were a bunch of ferns there that it wanted to eat. Mm -hmm. So maybe it like smelled the fire and wandered over because it knew that there was going to be some good fern material later. Hmm. But in any event, it's, it's a really amazing discovery. Anytime you get a new example of gut contents, it's super helpful to understand what was going on in the ecosystem generally. Because in addition to that, they also found 50 palynomorphs, which are a type of really tough microfossil under half a millimeter in size, and these include pollen and spores, and they managed to identify 42 of them. That means that we now know 42 of the plants that coexisted with Borealopelta mm -hmm. because they were fossilized in its gut. And that Borealopelta helped to spread. Yeah, yeah, potentially. So yeah, if you want to hear all of the details of the gut contents find, then listen to the full segment, episode 295. Thanks for stopping me before I got too carried away redoing the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. I love Borealopelta so much. It might be my favorite ever individual fossilized thing. I don't know. Zula is also really cool. There's a, there's a few amazing ones, but Borealopelta is high up the list for sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's going to be more papers too, because it's so well preserved. There's got to be other little tidbits oh, we can yeah. find in there. And a new category that we have this year is the best dinosaur nest, and that is Protoceratops, and also Musaurus was in the paper 
although not nearly as cool as the nest of Protoceratops. The Protoceratops had at least 12 eggs and embryos, and in at least six of those eggs, there were nearly complete skeletons. Yeah, that's really cool. It is astonishing, and the pictures of it are beautiful. They prepared away part of the egg, so you can actually see the Protoceratops in them. It comes from Mongolia. I can't remember if this one was smuggled. I'm not entirely sure on that, but it is beautiful. I love this find. And also, it shows that the first dinosaur egg was soft. Yes, that was the key to it, which is why they included the Musaurus egg with it, because that's on a completely different branch of the dinosaur family tree than Protoceratops. So if you assume that the two of them had soft-shelled eggs and their common ancestor also had a soft-shelled egg that gets you all the way back to those first dinosaur eggs being soft. We've assumed that for a long time based on the fact that like crocodilians have soft-shelled eggs and partly based on the fact that we can't find any Triassic dinosaur eggs to speak of. So we kind of figure, well, soft-shelled eggs barely preserve, so that's probably why we can't find them anywhere, whereas we find hard-shelled eggs in a lot of other places. So a really cool find. I think the coolest thing about it is the Protoceratops baby skeletons, but I guess the thing about the soft-shelled eggs is cool too. (laughs) (laughs) You guess. That was what most of the headlines were about. (laughs) Yeah, but like when you get that growth series of a species. That's true. That's Yeah, it's good to have. Especially with ceratopsians because they have that big frill. They have such striking Mm -hmm. ornamentation. It's nice to see how it changes. And getting six individuals all from the same clutch, Mm -hmm. it's like a really great bone bed, but in a micro scale. Next in our best of, we have the best biomechanics study, which probably doesn't surprise you if you've been listening. It's about the Spinosaurus tail. And we talked about that in episode 284. And then we also talked about it in episode 300 because it was the dinosaur of the day. And we interviewed... Nizar Ibrahim. So now we know, based on the tail of Spinosaurus, that Spinosaurus was a swimmer. Yeah, that's based on the biomechanics part of the paper. We had a tough time classifying whether this is the best biomechanics study or if it's like... An unexpected find. Yeah, because it's like it was so much at once. (laughs) It was on a lot of lists of like best discoveries of the year, period. Whether or not they're even talking about dinosaurs, just paleontologically, it was amazing. But they went back to that original site, not original, original, Ernst Stromer original, but... The one in the chem beds. Exactly, in Morocco. And they found the tail. And it had these long, I describe them as needle-like, just very, very thin bones sticking out of the top of the tail. And it appears to indicate that it had basically a sail or fin-like structure on the tail and not only on the back, but there is a dip. So it's a completely separate structure than the one on the back. And it was probably using its tail as a paddle, just like we see with crocodilians. And that was the biomechanics side of it. They Mm -hmm. built these little models of the Spinosaurus tail and a crocodilian tail and a standard theropod tail as sort of a control. And they saw that, yeah, having those spines on the tail and connecting them with a piece of skin to make a little bit of a paddle, would have made it a pretty decent swimmer. Not as good as a crocodilian, but a lot better than a regular theropod. So it's just one more piece of evidence that Spinosaurus spent a lot of time in the water and probably even swam actively, potentially hunting fish. We know that they ate a lot of fish. That was another paper this year. Mm -hmm. And there's more coming out probably this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nizari hinted that he had more papers to publish. So we'll maybe have another best of (laughs) entry from Spinosaurus for 2021. We've also got best paleo art, 
of 2020, and we decided to go with the ankylosaur cake. Yeah. We talked about this in episode 278. It was on a Buddy versus Duff Food Network episode, and then we interviewed Ralph, who made it, in episode 281, so you can hear more about it. But my favorite part was how they added gumballs to give it that texture of the osteoderms. And it was a really scientifically accurate cake. Yeah. So really different in terms of paleo art that we normally talk about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely a medium we hadn't talked about. But in 2020, there were a lot of memes about everything is cake. Mm-hmm. And that includes ankylosaurs, which is great. <laughs> I guess there are a fair number of ankylosaurs in this best of. Yes. I really liked, they did such a good job with the eyes and the eyelids and everything about that cake. They even had the tail that was like swingable. Mm -hmm. So it was more interactive than just your standard everything is cake. Yeah, and the eyes were made of sugar. Yep. But they looked really realistic. And it was very heavy, much like a real ankylosaur to the point where it was breaking the platform they built to (laughs) roll it into the museum on. Because they they put it at the AM&H. Actually, they had a display. This was a pre-COVID cake. (laughs) So pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. Although it wasn't as heavy as an ankylosaur would have been. No. But it was a very heavy cake. Yes, heavy for a cake, not for an ankylosaur. (laughs) There was a lot of other amazing paleo art this year, but Mm -hmm. it's hard to choose a favorite between like 500 or thousands of individual drawings. But so we took the easy way out and took the one cake. (laughs) (laughs) We do have another best dinosaur art. uh, I say this because it's not exactly paleo art i wouldn't say it's scientifically accurate but i love the idea of this family in england that made dinosaur art from rocks on their daily walks at a quarry we talked about in episode 282 and it's just it's cool to think of this family activity something to do during covid times and something that a lot of people can enjoy it's a found art thing so at some point it'll it can be reused for something else or just disappear slowly Mm mm-hmm We've also got best video, and there's a lot of great videos, but my favorite for 2020 is this short video. It's the Avatar Airbender Dinosaur video. (laughs) We talked about that in episode 312. It's not an official Avatar thing. It was like a fan recreation of the intro into dinosaur form. Right. Arturo Garcia remade the intro, but replaced all the vendors with dinosaurs, so... Spinosaurus was water, Ankylosaurus was earth, Dakotaraptor was fire. It's really well done. Yeah. And I know I'm not the only one out there who hopes now that they remake the series, but with dinosaurs. It's a lot of work. I'm sure. (laughs) But it would be so amazing. Yeah. Next, we added a new category, best unexpected place to find dinosaurs, and that is space. It's not the first time dinosaur things have been sent to space, but... We talked about in episode 289 that SpaceX astronauts brought Tremor, the Thai beanie baby dinosaur, on their mission to the International Space Station, which was at the time called, quote unquote, the ultimate dad move. (laughs) That's pretty funny. I remember thinking at the time that I was glad they didn't take another fossil because that's been done before as like a PR. Look, we took a dinosaur to space, Mm -hmm. but unnecessary risk. This is an apatosaurus stuffed toy. Yes. And it's a lot lighter weight than a real fossil too. Yes. And now moving on to best dinosaur thought. In episode 308, we talked about in the fun fact how turtles are murderers. 
And I stand by that. Turtles are murderers. And it's because we learned during SVP in one of the talks or the hangouts this year that sometimes turtles get aggressive and then we'll just snap another turtle's head off. Yeah, it's, it's they're carnivores. A lot of like leatherbacks basically are hyper carnivores eating just meat. So yeah. it Which makes sense. Got me thinking in the battle between sauropods and turtles, it's not one sided. I bet that turtles, given the chance, would try to hurt or maybe even kill a sauropod. Oh, so you think they were coming after the baby sauropods and then the adult sauropods like stomped on them? Not quite, but <laughs> yeah, maybe they go after the babies or maybe there's a sick sauropod that's lying on the ground and the turtle just goes for the head or something. Mm. We don't know. But even in that situation, you don't think the sauropods are going to intentionally step on the turtles? No. <laughs> So they sometimes occasionally get squished by sauropods. On accident. But it, that's better than the turtles, which actively... Murder, yes. Oh, okay, see. This is just a follow-up from last year's Best Of, where we had sauropods squishing turtles as our best dinosaur thoughts. We're just trying to <laughs> rewrite history. <laughs> anyway, moving on, we've got another new category, Best Dinosaur Impression. And if you could only choose one of our episodes to go back to this year, I highly, highly recommend episode 293, listen to Evan Johnson Ransom's T-Rex impression. It's a good one. I can't do it justice. I can't try it myself. You just have to trust me on this. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, so I'm just going to insert the clip here so that you can hear it because there's no describing it. You mm. just have to hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And speaking of dinosaur sounds, the best dinosaur sound, I think, of the year was penguins walking around the Chicago Museum. <laughs> you do talk about this often. It is so wonderful. Their little webbed feet pitter-pattering on the hard concrete floor <laughs> the Field Museum is just the greatest. It was in our news because they brought dinosaurs to see the dinosaurs, and it was like a whole, hey, I get it, They're penguins yeah. are dinosaurs. But that was not even the point to me. It was the sound <laughs> of the feet, the webbed feet is wonderful. And I want to play a clip of that, too, just because you need to enjoy it. Next is our, we're calling this best and worst dinosaur auction. Garrett put in parentheses, ever. <laughs> yeah. And that's Stan the T-Rex. We talked about it in episodes 305 and 307. That was before and after the auction happened. Real quick, Stan's one of the largest, most complete T-Rex skeletons. 188 bones. He's been at the Black Hills Institute in South Dakota and is in many, many papers. A lot of people have researched Stan. Also in many, many museums and other displays around the world because oh, yeah. replicas have been sold everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Garrett and I can spot a Stan from a mile away now. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty ubiquitous and they're a little bit unusual for a T-Rex. So the skull, you can, you can tell Stan's skull once you're familiar with it. Yep. 
and stands sold for $31.8 million, which was a lot higher than the estimated $8 million people thought it would go for. Yeah, I think the estimate is probably just based on Sue, because that was around $8 million. And that's how you appraise things, right? And it's like, what is the other stuff that is like this sell for? Mm -hmm. We still don't know who bought it, where it's going, which probably means that it's a private collector who's going to squirrel it away in their house or something. But you never know, because there are other stories that came out in 2020 of private collectors who bought or had bought dinosaur skeletons and now are loaning them to museums for public research. Yes, true. So hopefully it is at least loaned to a public museum so that people can see it in person. We had the fortune of seeing it in person in the Black Hills Institute back when it was still there in the mid-20-teens, <laughs> now that we're not in the 20-teens anymore. Oh, that sounds a long <laughs> time ago. That sounds a lot longer than it should be. Yeah, I think it was th 2013 when we saw it, right before we started the podcast. And it's really cool. So yeah, I hope other people get to see it for sure. We also want to call out the biggest court case of 2020. Dinosaur-wise. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was thinking, since we're a dinosaur podcast, yeah, it's always dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of big court cases in 2020. Right, But this right. is the big dinosaur court case. Right. I mean, that's also why we said 2020 was awesome in some ways, because dinosaur-wise, yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway, biggest dinosaur court case had to do with Montana ruling that dinosaur fossils are not minerals. And we talked about this in episode 287 and episode 291. So first what happened, we go, there was a lot of back and forth and different rulings and different courts. And eventually it was found that dinosaur fossils are not considered minerals, except it didn't necessarily apply to an ongoing case with the dueling dinosaurs. But then they did apply that court case to the dueling dinosaurs. So they decided to say that the dueling dinosaurs also are dinosaur fossils, part of the surface estate and not part of the mineral rights. Which allowed the Murrays to finish their sale of the dueling dinosaurs to what turned out to be the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. Yeah, and I think we found out how much they paid for it, if I'm not mistaken. It's around six million. Yeah, it was a lot. And they're creating a new display for it. It's gonna be awesome. It was sort of the counterbalance to that stand being sold into a private collection, which is why we wanted to include it right here. <laughs> And if you want to hear more about the dueling dinosaurs and what's going on with them, we talked about it in episode 313. The best AR of 2020 is the National Geographic's Reimagining Dinosaurs filter on Instagram, which we talked about in episode 314. There's three filters you can use. It's Spinosaurus, Deinonychus, and Ichi. And you can have them, you know, in your living room, or you can flip it around and make the dinosaurs move based on your facial expressions. It's really fun. It mimics you, basically, like you're looking in a mirror with mm -hmm. a dinosaur looking back at you. But I really like it because it includes a lot of facts about dinosaurs. It's not just the dinosaur in space, which is what we've always seen in other augmented reality things. These have a little play button, and they tell you about the dinosaur. Yeah. Kind of goes along with National Geographic's Reimagining Dinosaurs issue, which came out in October. Yep. And you can still get it. We I just double-checked. If you search for Nat Geo, all lowercase without a space, then you'll find it. If you search for dinosaur or if you search for National Geographic, it doesn't come up. You find all sorts of weird filters. But yeah, if you go to the filters and search for it, you can still play with the augmented reality stuff. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. 
Then we have our best dinosaur game of 2020, and I'm giving it to Animal Crossing. We haven't started playing yet, but we did recently get the game. And yeah. We heard good things. I bought it for Sabrina as along with a Switch because that's the only way you can play it for Christmas because she wanted to play this game so bad but hasn't played it yet. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a little bit overwhelming because you know that it's really in-depth. Yeah. Well, I got hung up on choosing a name because Sabrinosaurus was too long. Yeah. Th- was there an eight-character limit, I think? I can't remember. I've come up with some alternatives, but they haven't been up to Sabrina standards yet. I think you might just have to go with Sabrina. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That is, in fact, your name. So I guess. <laughs> maybe Sabrina and a dinosaur emoji or something Mm. if it lets you. But yeah, we talked about it a little bit in episode 297. The dinosaur connection to Animal Crossing is you can dig and then you can get the fossils out of the ground. And and build your own museum. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. I'm excited about it. It won multiple awards. It got the best family game at the Game Awards, which as far as I can tell is like the biggest awards of video games. I think it said like, millions of people watch it or something so pretty popular award show and it also got the 2020 game of the year from the japan game awards so very popular it's not entirely a dinosaur game but it is very popular and apparently very good so i think that's cool and i like that they included dinosaurs in a game that isn't specifically for dinosaur fans because maybe it'll help make dinosaurs more popular and who doesn't want that to happen (laughs) That is an honorable mention for best dinosaur game. I have Path of Titans, which we didn't talk about in any episodes. (laughs) No. That's surprising. It didn't. It's because it hasn't really come out yet. It's still in like a demo alpha situation, but it looks really cool. It's a lot like Saurian where you play as a dinosaur and there's a massively multiplayer online element to it where you can have like hundreds of people on a server. So we might be starting a server for this soon. It's not available yet to be on a server but yeah maybe we'll all be pretending to be dinosaurs on the internet soon that would be fun and that concludes our best of 2020 Woo! there was a lot to cover there was a lot of other stuff that we couldn't include for time even with cutting out a lot of things (laughs) this is going to be one of our longest episodes in a while so now we just want to take a moment to talk about some things we're proud of from 2020. We visited the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show in February, just before everything shut down. So we got very lucky that way. And we talked about our visit in episode 274. Yeah, we saw a couple of really cool, massive dinosaur displays and some smaller stuff too. Mm-hmm. And as an update, it is canceled for 2021. So it's a good thing we went last year. Mm-hmm. We also made lesson plans and resource pages on our website. If you go to inodino.com, you can access those. Our lesson plans have different activities for different age levels, all dinosaur themed, of course. And the resource page takes you to a bunch of museums and other places we found online that they have lesson plans and activities and all kinds of dinosaur and geologic things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely if you're still homeschooling or just looking for some sciencey stuff mm-hmm. to do or, or to do with your kids. Coloring pages to download even. Yeah. And to that end of doing things from home, we successfully had an SVP from home for the first time. That was episode 308 to 311. Mm-hmm. 
because there's always so much to cover. Yes. But we made it to probably more sessions than we've ever made it to in the past because it was asynchronous. Absolutely. It was a sufficiently dinosaur-filled week, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. also want to give a quick shout-out to Blackbirders Week that happened this year. We talked about it in episode 288. You know, we didn't have anything to do with that, but it was cool, and it also got Garrett to start birding. Oh, yeah. I've been birding. Yep. <laughs> it happened. It happened. <laughs> it's a thing now. He's got two apps on his phone. Do you got there's two essential ones. There's eBird where you you document the ones, and there's the other one that's affiliated with it called Merlin, which is how you identify the birds. <laughs> you got to be able to identify them, and then you got to track what you found. Yep. We were at a lake yesterday, and we saw a turkey vulture and a big old pelican, a and warbler, I think. Yeah, some Canada geese and some coots, American coots. Yep. Good times. Garrett can already spot them when they're hiding in the trees. A little bit, yeah. Better we, than me. You did spot the turkey vulture from a long distance because they are massive. Yeah. And we walked over to it and it was letting us get closer and closer to the point where we were uncomfortable getting closer <laughs> to it before it was. Yep. So we turned around and went away. And then we got surrounded by Canada geese. Yep. Who didn't care that we were near them at all. They did not. Maybe we weren't small enough. I think if we were at like child size, they mm. might be more scared because those are the, the humans that chase them the most. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we also did lots of things on discord i talked about this a little bit when we talked about patrons at the beginning of the episode but we did our watch parties throughout covid times and we're still doing them so that was a lot of fun and i'm looking forward to doing more stuff on discord definitely a highlight of 2020 for me mm -hmm. me too another highlight for me is that we got on tiktok i don't know if i'd say i'm proud of this, but I am happy about it because I'm finally getting use out of our inflatable dinosaur costumes. Yes. <laughs> Sabrina's been dancing in them all the time. Yep. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's pretty funny, though, that during COVID, you started TikTok dinosaur dancing and I started birding. <laughs> it's two very different things. Neither of us are proud of these things. It's just things that happened yep. and now are a part of our lives. <laughs> We also have some things that we're really anticipating for 2021 because we like to look forward and be excited about what's going to happen. There are some upcoming dinosaur displays that I'm really excited about. First and foremost has to be the dueling dinosaurs at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. We already mentioned this, but in episode 313, we went into a little more detail about what we know, and it's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lab. You're going to Visitors are going to be able to see all the work being done. It sounds really cool. Yes. And we'll, you'll know, as they know, if it's a new species, if it looks like it's a new species, whether it supports Nanotyrannus, probably not. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> and what species of Ceratopsian it is. It's going to be really cool. And speaking of Ceratopsians, there's the Triceratops skeleton at the Melbourne Museum, which we talked about in episode 315. And it's really cool. It's 87% complete and includes skin impressions and tendons. It's really exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. And scientists around the world can go there to study Triceratops. I'm not sure if these next ones are going to be in 2021, but there's a bunch of museum expansions on Australia's Dinosaur Trail that are due to be completed. The Aromanga Natural History Museum is supposed to be like 
quadrupling in size or something. <laughs> it's not that small right now, but it's going to get massive. Same is true for the Australian Opal Center, although that one is actually really small right now, mm-hmm. but it's going to be huge. I don't know when those are going to be completed. I couldn't find an update, but the Australian Age of Dinosaurs does have an estimated completion date of 2025, but I think they're already starting to put some things out. Right. They've got parts of the March of the Titanosaurs. Yeah. And it's that museum is basically 100% guided. So whatever is finished, you'll see it as it happens. It's not like they're going to open a new building. They'll show you through the different pieces of it, I'm sure, as different pieces are completing. So yeah, huge expansions happening out there, which are awesome. There's also some great dinosaur games that are going to be coming out. First of all, we've got more updates expected from Saurian and Path of Titans because both of those are still sort of early release versions. But there are a couple of new games coming out. There's Arc 2, which should be coming out, I think, next year. Oh, yeah, with Vin Diesel. <laughs> I still wonder how much Vin Diesel is going to play a role in this. A lot, if you believe the trailer. Oh, man, I, I'm going to have to play it just to see that aspect of it. That's probably what they're counting on, really. Mm-hmm. And then there's also Prehistoric Kingdom, which has been anticipated for a long time. I'm not sure if that's actually coming out yet. Right now, it has a release date listed as Q2 2021. So maybe we will get the Prehistoric Kingdom game everybody has been waiting for. From what I can tell, it's basically like a Jurassic Park park builder style game, but with much more realistic dinosaurs. And then they use the word prehistoric because it's not just dinosaurs. It'll be stuff like mammoths and things like that, which in a zoo setting makes sense, unlike in some other games that I could mention where they're just in nature together <laughs> or movies. <laughs> in a zoo, you can combine these things and it's not outlandish. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully that one comes out next year as is currently expected. And then last, there's a lot of dinosaur shows coming out that we're excited about. So. First, there's Dinosaurs coming to Disney Plus, if you've got it. That's happening this month. That's the Jim Henson version. Mm-hmm. The TV show. Also, the second season of Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous comes out this month, which is amazing. That's so quick. Yeah, we're going to be doing watch parties for that. Talking about watch parties. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Why Dinosaurs documentary that should be coming out. We talked about that in episode 303 and 314. And those are where they interview us and we interview them. And then last, Jurassic World Dominion was supposed to come out in June of 2021, but as you know, it's been pushed back a year. I'm sure we'll get a ton more updates, though. We've already gotten a lot. Like, they resumed filming. We talked about that back in episode 291, and we already know a lot of details. Spread across many episodes. We've been talking about that. Yep. I think like Pyroraptor is one of the biggest ones, and we've been seeing pictures of various puppets to expect in the movie yeah speaking of puppets quick shout out to we interviewed phil Tippett back in episode 283 which was pretty cool dinosaur puppeteer extraordinaire from the first jurassic park Mm -hmm. and other dinosaur projects so there's a lot to look forward to in 2021 and i'm sure dozens of more dinosaur discoveries as always for the last couple decades Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is really what we're here for above everything else. Yes. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now on to our dinosaur of the day, D-Long, which is a request from Tyrant King via our Patreon and Discord. So thanks. D-Long was a basal tyrannosauroid that lived in the Cretaceous in what is now Liaoning province in China in the Yixian Formation. The holotype is a nearly complete semi-articulated skeleton, and it includes a nearly complete skull. The type and only species is Delong paradoxus, and the genus name means emperor dragon. It refers to the relationship of Delong to T-Rex, the king tyrannosaurid. Mm, so it's, it's above the king because it's the emperor. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. The species name means against received wisdom or against accepted wisdom and according to the original description refers to quote the surprising characters of this animal end quote there's proto feathers on a tyrannosauroid yeah that is surprising mm-hmm. so delong was described in 2004 by Xu Xing and others the holotype was about 5.2 feet or 1.6 meters long but the holotype might be of juvenile so it's estimated to be more than 6.6 feet or 2 meters long as an adult that is very small for a tyrannosaur. It's like raptor size. Another reason it's against received wisdom. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Delong had a long skull and slender neck, and it had this Y-shaped skull crest with two ridges along the snout. Delong had relatively long arms and three fingers on each hand, and it had a large jaw with tightly packed front teeth. It also had short legs, so it probably wasn't a fast runner, but it was probably active, and it probably went after lizards, mammals, and birds. Delong is similar looking to Eotyrannus, which lived in the Cretaceous in what is now the Isle of Wight in the UK, and it's closely related to Eutyrannus. Delong is covered in proto feathers, and they were found in fossilized skin impressions. Four specimens were found, but only one has the proto feather impressions. And these protofeathers were found around the tail and the back of the head. And they were up to 0.4 inches or 3 centimeters long. They were simple and filamentous. So based on that, DeLong was probably covered in a downy coat. It was most likely used for insulation, not for flight. So DeLong is a tyrannosauroid that lived much earlier than T-Rex. Maybe that's why it got the emperor title. <laughs> And it's the first direct evidence that tyrannosauroids had protofeathers. The feathers on Delong may mean that T-Rex and then other later tyrannosaurs had feathers. As proven later by the discovery of Eutyrannus. Mm-hmm. Delong had some advanced skull features like later tyrannosaurs, including fused nasal bones and a rounded snout with front teeth that are 
D-shaped and cross section, and that would have given it a quote-unquote cookie-cutter bite. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yikes. Imagine it like a cookie-cutter shark just taking chunks out of something. Yeah. Scampering off. That would be painful. (laughs) So it had a small skull compared to later tyrannosaurs, and the pelvis is not as robust as other tyrannosauroids. The skull is also less robust than other tyrannosauroids, but that could be because it was smaller. In other ways, Delong looked like juveniles of later, bigger tyrannosaurs, though. And it shows that tyrannosaurs had some distinctions before they became large, like T-Rex. Adult tyrannosaurs in Alberta, Canada, and Mongolia has skin impressions that show pebbly scales. Shushing and others suggested that tyrannosauroids may have had different skin coverings on different parts of their bodies. So they had scales and feathers. And they also suggested that juveniles may have had feathers and adults had scales because adults got large enough they didn't need the insulation to keep warm. Scans of the brain case found that DeLong had an S-shaped brain with thin meninges, as the three membranes that line the skull and vertebral canal and enclose the brain and spinal cord. T-Rex, in comparison, had a more linear brain with thicker meninges. Based on the scans... It was found that DeLong was probably agile and had good balance, but it didn't have as good a sense of smell as T-Rex. DeLong lived in an area with early flowering plants, rivers, and streams, and there were nearby volcanoes. Other dinosaurs that lived around the same time and place included Euteranus, Bapiosaurus, and Sinocalioteryx. And our fun fact for this episode... This feels weird. (laughs) I enjoy it. It's an extension of our dinosaur of the day, Delong. So Delong is the name of a dinosaur, but it's also a name used to mean earthworm in traditional Chinese medicine and also as another term for geosaurus, a marine crocodiliform. So these are Chinese words and the pronunciation is the same, Delong, but the characters, the way you would write it in Chinese is different for Delong the dinosaur compared to Delong the earthworm and geosaurus. So they're homonyms in a Latinized alphabet, but not homonyms in the Chinese characters. Yes. Well, they do have the same pronunciation, though. That's homophone. Oh, I see. So they're homophones in both English and Chinese, but they're homonyms in just English, I guess. Mm. Well, partially. So the character for long is the same, and in both cases, that means dragon. And many dinosaurs with Chinese names use long. As I said earlier, the D character for Delong means emperor, so emperor dinosaur. And then the D character for geosaurs and the earthworm means earth. So those are earth dragons. Mm -hmm. And the first mention of Delong, the earth dragon, was in the mid-7th century in the history of the Southern Dynasty's biography from Admiral Wang Zengbian from the Liang Dynasty, who lived in the 6th century. And in the biography, it says that witnesses saw two dragons go into the sky and the earth dragon leaving Liang territory, which was interpreted as a sign of their defeat in the year 550. Wow. That's quite the sight to see. Yes. I don't trust those witnesses, though. Well, they're long gone. (laughs) It's hard to ask them. Mm -hmm. At this point, they just allegedly said it. Legend has it. Yeah. So there you have it. Delong can have a lot of meanings. But anytime we mention it, it's safe to assume we talk about the dinosaur. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Oh, that is weird. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. 
we made it through another year. Make sure you subscribe to us in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And consider joining our Patreon if you want to talk to us on Discord or watch dinosaur shows with us or get the show ad-free. And that's all at patreon.com slash I know dino. Thanks again and until next time. Good day.